0: All right, so Acts 14, we're in a series through the book of Acts. We're actually at, this is the halfway point. Once we get past 14, we're halfway through the book of Acts. Um, This passage is uh, basically part two of what we started last week. Chapter 13 and 14 together uh, tell us the story of Paul's first missionary journey to bring the gospel from Israel to uh, Gentile nations. And we started that. Uh, This past uh, this past Sunday, we looked at the first half of it. We'll finish it up today and see them. uh, Him and Barnabas are going to do this kind of loop around and then make their way back to uh, to Syria, where they started from in Antioch. So that's where we're that's what we're looking at. But as we think about this passage in particular and looking at the story of Paul's missionary work in uh, in these uh, lands that he goes to, I think the way to frame this for for our thinking at least is uh just really how comfortable we live these days comparatively to the things that Paul and Barnabas had to do in in bringing the gospel to these places the the amount of effort and physical labor and difficulty that they encountered we're going to see a lot of trials in their lives uh through this effort and uh we don't live very uncomfortably, for the most part, these days, and that's actually something we can be thankful for. Like I like modern conveniences as much as anybody else, uh, but there can be negatives to that, right? There, one of the things that can kind of come out of this this level of comfort that we that we live in day to day is um, the the, the trickle down effect can be this undisciplined, um, even just kind of sulkiness about us. That, that if things don't go exactly as planned or exactly as we frame it, then we get so discouraged and we just want to give up and call it quits. And we don't want to put up with hard things for very long. And, and I understand why. We're, we're, we live comfortably, comfortably for the most part. But um, one of the things that this passage does help us to see is in the spiritual world, how important it is to to have perseverance and endurance and to keep going uh, even when things get difficult. And things do get difficult, right? We know that even if it's not necessarily all of our physical difficulties, although sometimes those things hit our lives, of course, uh, we all understand the spiritual difficulties of following Jesus. We understand the discouragements, the temptations, the sins, the struggles that we have, and, and yet we have, just as Paul did, a, a a gospel hope. We have a hope in Jesus. We have a Holy Spirit who lives within us and helps us if we've trusted in Christ. And, and the things that we can see in Paul as a model, as an example, uh, should draw our hearts, I think, to that uh, perseverance that the Christian life calls for. So last week, uh, we looked at how... Uh, Paul and Barnabas display several characteristics on their mission that are vital for us as we continue to bring the gospel out to other people. Uh, we saw that they char- were characterized by courage. They were willing to say hard things and they were willing to do hard things. Um, they, those, were, those both took courage for them to do. We saw they had clarity in their message. They, they tried to make the gospel clear understandable and relatable to the people that they're speaking to. And so that there's clarity around the message. And then they had confidence in Jesus that he would actually save people, that what they're doing is not for nothing, but it's actually being used by God to bring people to the faith. And so those are the things we saw in chapter 13. Today, we're going to carry on into the story and see how they persevere in those things. We're going to see all those things kind of continue to be there, uh, but we won't talk about each of them individually as much today. But really just want to show you or, or help you see, as I've, as I've seen in this passage, the, the perseverance that these men have uh, to bring Christ to the, pa- to the people. So let's, uh, let's just kind of recap where we la- uh, ended last week. <laughs> they were in a city called Iconium. And they were pretty firmly rejected there by the Jewish leaders. Uh, The leaders of the synagogue had kind of stirred people up and were trying to uh, threaten them. And eventually Paul and Barnabas are like, okay. And they leave and they shake the dust off their sandals and they just kind of go, all right, have it your way. We'll we'll leave. You guys don't want us here. So they leave at the very end of chapter uh, 13 and, and yet, they still saw people come to faith, even though many rejected them as well. And that's, that's the mixed bag that we're always going to see in the Christian message. So 14 picks it up. Um, I'm sorry, they went off to Iconium. They were actually in Antioch. Um, and then, so, so now they're at Iconium. Verse, four, uh, verse 1 of 14. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So here again, we're seeing the same strategy. We're seeing perseverance in the strategy that Paul and Barnabas are using to reach people. In chapter 13, the first place they went to at Cyprus, and then later on in Antioch of Pisidia, the cities that they travel to, the first place they go is the synagogue of the Jews these places where the Jewish people are. Why do they do that? Well, there's a couple reasons probably. One is that the, the Jewish people should receive the gospel first. They should, it's, it's Jesus that came through the Jewish people. And so he's going to go theologically, Paul's gonna, got a conviction that the, that the Jewish people should hear the gospel. If they are willing to hear it, they should hear it. That's, that's one reason. The other reason is that that's where the low-hanging fruit is. Right, that's where people who have a baseline understanding of of the Bible are, and so Paul goes to those people first because those are the people who he doesn't have to start from ground zero with. He can start much, uh, much more on a, a common ground, and what we saw in his his explanation to the Jewish people in Antioch of Pisidia is. He, he walks them through basically the Old Testament story from the book of Exodus into Judges, and or Joshua, then Judges, and into the Kings. And he just kind of takes them through this thing where they're, we're seeing Jesus become the fulfillment of all that God was doing in the Old Testament. And he uses that as a way to explain who Jesus is, uh, introduce him to these people who were not living in Jerusalem, probably did not know much about Jesus at all because of where they live and being outside of Israel. Um, and he's explaining to them that Jesus is the one who the Bible promised uh, to, to save us. And so he, he starts at that common ground with them. Here, we're not getting any specifics on what he says to these people in Iconium. We're probably getting a similar speech. And so Luke doesn't see the need to record it for us, he probably uses a similar uh, similar script. But what he does as he speaks, he's speaking in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. So again, we're seeing Paul use the clarity of his message to help people understand what's happening. And because he's speaking in such a way that's understandable, they are responding. Okay, verse 2 but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers so now we're seeing as we saw last week we're seeing opposition right there's res- there's reception of Jesus and then there's opposition to Jesus there are people believing and then there are people opposing and what's interesting here is that the the particular Group of Jewish people in this synagogue who are hearing Paul's message and not believing in the gospel are actually actively working to poison the minds of the Gentiles. In that same city, so this is this is really interesting because this is the first kind of example of what we would call anti-evangelism, where they are doing the exact opposite of what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to convince people to believe in Jesus; they're trying to convince people to not believe in Jesus, and and it's become this this battle. So you have a punch and you have a counterpunch, and all that's happening simultaneously. So, but let's look at the next verse because this is this is really great to see it says so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the lord who bore witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands what i want to emphasize here is the perseverance we see right this this missionary team paul and barnabas these two guys who are there to share the gospel are being opposed. People don't like what they're saying, and yet, despite that, it says they remained a long time. They unlike with Antioch of Pisidia, which this came from, where they were just there for a very brief amount of time and then headed head out to go to Iconium. In Iconium, they actually stick it out for what Luke calls a long time. Now, a long time is a little ill-defined, right? We don't know what that exactly means. Um, it probably doesn't mean years based off the timeline of what we know from, from the uh, book of Acts. Um, what it seems like is more like they stuck around for several months though, which when you're on a particular journey, they had an itinerary. The plan was to go uh, to these various places, and then come back. So the plan was never for Paul and Barnabas to find a place to live forever. They were going on a missionary journey. They were going through a region, bringing the gospel with them, and then they were going to come back home, right? So the fact that they stay for several months is actually a long time based on the mission, based off the plan. It's not that they're just going to you know find a place that they want to camp out and stay forever. So they stuck around for a significant amount of time in this particular city in the face of opposition. They didn't give up. And, and because they stuck it out, the Lord, it says, uh, witnessed to his grace through giving signs and wonders by their hands. The Lord was working in this. And I, I think this is something that's just important for us to see. I, I think it's really easy for us to look for instant uh, success or instant gratification or, or or an immediate result from our labor. And when we don't see that, we're very quick to give up on it. And I think part of that is because of the world we live in, the, fa- the fast-paced nature of our world, uh, where we're just like almost rewriting our brains to, to not... Be able to think very long about any one particular thing. We're always bouncing from one thing to the next. We we just live in that world right now. We live in a world of speed, and and that obviously has some benefits. It also has some uh, some problems. And I think the problem is, as it relates to the Christian life, is that the the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of Jesus's message, doesn't actually happen overnight things take significant time and in christian life and in christian ministry we need to remember the long view we need to have a like 10 15 50 perhaps year plan instead of just expecting things to happen in a in a year or 6 months or less and i think we need to we need to remind ourselves of The the very fact that nature, the world God made, teaches us these things. And we've gotta we've gotta somehow pivot ourselves away from the technology of the things that we've made to the things that God has made in the world to learn wisdom. And we we understand this intuitively that crops don't grow overnight. It takes a season for them to grow. It takes an oak tree twenty to thirty years to even start producing acorns. And then, of course, they, those trees last for a long, long time beyond that. We know as parents, if we're parents, that our kids don't actually get sent out of our house in the first week of their life. That would be bad, right? We, we know that they don't leave in five years. They don't leave in ten years. We can argue that maybe they don't leave soon enough, but they, they definitely don't leave before it's time. And these things should teach us wisdom in the way that God designs the world. In the same way, or a similar way, spiritual fruit is not an instant thing that happens. It is a lifelong process of God working in our lives to grow us in grace and in in the fruit of the Spirit. The Christian life takes perseverance. We We have to remember that. Because if we don't, we become disillusioned and we'll be very quick to just go, ah, oh, it's not working. And we'll, we'll approach Christianity in a pragmatic way and say, well, if it works, I'll do it. As long as it does, does what it's supposed to do for me, I'll, I'll stick with it. And when it stops being useful, then, I'll, then I'm gonna dip out. That's not how it's meant to be. And Paul and Barnabas being willing to stick it out in Iconium despite difficulty for a season of time shows us the importance of perseverance. At the same time, as we're going to see, they don't stay in Iconium forever. That's not the place that they were like, well, we love it here. We're just going to you know, set up shop and do our thing here and stay here forever. No, they do leave. They remain a long time by their standards of what a long time means for their, tri- for their trip, but they do eventually move on. Look at verse four through seven with me. It says, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them, mistreat Paul and Barnabas, and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So, so here we're seeing that they're actually embracing wisdom too. It's not just perseverance purely for the sake of perseverance. Perseverance doesn't mean we don't employ wisdom to our situation. It doesn't mean that we just turn our brains off and go, I'm just going to stick this out no matter what. No, they're they're thinking through the situation and there becomes a point where uh, the the city is divided. Iconium is divided about this. Some of the people are siding with, with the apostles. Others are siding with the Jewish leaders who are against the, the gospel in this case. And ultimately, there becomes this plot to kill them, right? This, this plot to murder them by stoning them to death, by throwing rocks at them. And they learn about it. It says in verse 6, they learn of this plan to mistreat them and to stone them. And they fled. They ran away from, from Iconium. They leave in this situation. As the persecution ramps up, they go, which is interesting. But while they stayed a long time, their calling was ultimately to make Jesus known throughout the world. And so they, they went to other locations. They went to another place. They weren't just called to one particular city. They were called to go to many so where do they go? They move on to Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia. And this would be in the region that we are familiar with as Galatia. So Galatia, Paul writes to these churches later on in the New Testament. He writes the book of Galatians to a group of churches. Galatia is a region. Lystra and Derby uh, and Iconium are all cities kind of within that region of Galatia. Um, but Basically, what they're doing is they're moving on to these other two towns, Lystra and Derby. And what's what's of note here is that these are really small towns; these are not big cities. Iconium is kind of the bigger city. Lystra and Derby, it says they went to Lystra, Derby, and the surrounding country. So they went to the rural places. They went to small towns, little villages. Um, part of this is probably because that's the smart place to go. When, when persecution is ramping up, you wanna to go to a place that has fewer people who wanna kill you, right? And so that's part of it. I think there's just wisdom in that. But uh, these places were really unimportant places in the grand scheme of things. In fact, we know very little outside of the Bible about Lystra and Derby because the Romans, who would have been overseeing them at this point in time, didn't give any real significant thought to them, so there's not much written about them. There's some things that we have from history, but not much. And what I think is really amazing here is that as they go to these small towns, it says they continued to preach the gospel, they didn't run away to these cities just to hide away and wait till things cooled down. They continued to bring the gospel to these people too. And I think that's amazing because they didn't see these people in these small towns, these backwater areas as less important than the big cities. They didn't see them as people who didn't deserve to hear the gospel. They continued to employ their same strategy even in the small country villages and and as i've as i've worked in uh the church planting world and the you know church planting is when we establish new churches in different places one of the myths that that has been very popularized uh in the in recent decades has been the missionary journeys of paul show us that the way we reach the world is to reach the big cities and all we got to do is go to the big cities And big cities are where it's at. So let's plant all of our churches in big cities. And this section of scripture actually proves that that was not purely Paul's strategy. Paul goes to small towns. He goes to the countryside. He takes, just as Jesus did, he takes the message to all the people wherever he's encountering them. And I think we've got to get it out of our heads. And we don't, in this church, I don't think we have any ideas uh, most of us, at least, that big city is better. I think most of us would argue it's not. And in fact, that's why we live here, probably. Um, and, and I think that that's obviously right. Okay, but that's why I'm here. Um, but I, I am not enamored by big cities, and I don't think most of us are. Maybe maybe you are, and maybe you're an exception. But uh, Paul is obviously very okay with bringing the gospel to small towns and little places and that's that should encourage us as people who live in more of a well a city that is smaller and frankly nobody seems to care about except the people who live here right and that's this is an encouragement that Jesus does care about us and he does care about all the places in the world that are lost okay well let's keep going verse 8 through 18 is going to tell us what happens as Paul and Barnabas go to Lystra. They go to Lystra and Derbe, but we don't read anything about Derbe aside from the fact that they go there. But Luke gives us some information about Lystra and what happens there. All right. Now at Lystra, we're going to read down to verse 18. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lacaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men." Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the, priests of, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. And when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, "'Men, why are you doing these things?' Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. Now that gets really wild, right? Real quick, um, this is what happens. Paul goes into Lystra, he does a miracle. He does a thing that these people had not seen before. He heals a man who had been crippled for his whole life. But Luke doesn't spend much time talking about the the miracle itself. He really spends most of his time talking about the... uh, the response to the miracle. And the response is crazy, right? The people in Lystra respond by saying in their own language, and this is why Paul and Barnabas didn't pick up on it quickly enough, because they couldn't understand what the people were speaking. They were speaking in Lake Ionian, So they're speaking in their native language. Paul and Barnabas don't speak that language. They're speaking the common Greek language that everybody can speak in the empire. But Here's what they're saying in their native language. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And they believe that, that Barnabas is Zeus, come down as a man, and Paul is Hermes. He's this other god from the Greek pantheon. He comes down as a man because Paul's the guy who's mainly doing the talking, and that's what Hermes was up to, I guess. So the priest of Zeus, there was a temple to Zeus in this in this city, in this little town, and the priest there gets all this stuff together, these oxen, this, all this stuff to throw this huge sacrifice to these people, to, to Paul and Barnabas. And eventually they figure it out. They see what's happening and they go, oh no, oh no, 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 stop, don't, no, stop. Right? And they start freaking out because this is crazy to them. And they're saying, we're just like, we're just like you guys, we're men. We just came to bring you good news. Like, don't, worry, don't, don't do this. Turn away from these vain things and turn to the living God. Now, why do the people of uh, uh, Lystra respond like this? There's actually something that we do know about this city that leads us to understand their response. Because this is kind of crazy, right? I mean, yes, a miracle happened, and that's probably unusual. It would be unusual for us to see, too. Um, but something happened in this, in this little town about 50 years before Paul got there. And this is where all of this kind of stems from. There was a legend in this town that Zeus and Hermes had taken on the form of men and had come to their town and they were not recognized as Zeus and Hermes. So they were just kind of mistreated, thrown out. Nobody wanted to welcome them into their house. They just thought they were travelers. You know, they were kind of suspicious of these two guys. And so Zeus and Hermes kind of get mistreated, supposedly, according to this, this legend. And they finally find um, a welcome in a particular house with this elderly couple who welcome them in, give them food, help them out, right? And the rest of the town was flooded, and that, But that house turns into the temple of Zeus. That was the, that's the mythology around this. So that supposedly happened. Basically, what probably actually happened was the town flooded and these superstitious people were like, we made the gods mad somehow, okay? And they came up with this whole story about it. Um, but that puts it into context as to why they're doing this. Because they're like, okay, 50 years ago, these two guys came and we treated them bad then. So let's not treat them bad now. Let's make sure that we give them the whole thing. Like let's offer sacrifices. Let's be super nice to them. And that way they'll bless us. And that's where Paul has to go, no, this is crazy. You guys are worshiping vain things. Turn from them, turn to the living God. And so Paul begins to preach to them. And again, what we're seeing here is that Paul is trying to make the gospel clear. But notice, he doesn't start with the Old Testament with these people. He doesn't do the same thing he did in the, in the Jewish synagogues. These people don't have a Jewish background. There's no evidence that there were enough Jewish people in this town to even have a synagogue. Now, there were probably some people who were Jewish, uh, but, but not enough to make it a thing. So he doesn't start there he starts preaching Jesus from what we'd call common grace. He starts preaching Jesus by saying, look at how the God who is true and living, the one who actually made everything, heaven, earth, sea, everything in them, and that God has shown himself to you by providing you with food, by providing you with uh, rain and crops and comfort and joy and That's all we really have of his speech. We don't know if Luke just didn't record the whole speech or if the people cut off the speech and this is as far as he got. We don't really know. But we know that he's starting to try to make sense of Jesus from the point of understanding that they have. And he says, basically, look at how God took care of you. Come to Jesus. That's his his pitch, Now, John Stott, who is a a pastor in England, and he's with the Lord now, but he, he wrote something that I think is helpful for us to remember as we think about sharing the gospel, too. He says, we need to learn from Paul's flexibility. We're not free to edit the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ, nor is there ever any need to do so. But we have to begin where people are, to find a point of contact with them, He says, with secularized people today, we might need to go towards what constitutes authentic humanness or the universal quest for transcendence or the hunger for love and community or the search for freedom or the longing for personal significance. But wherever we begin, we must end with Jesus Christ, who is himself the good news and who alone can fulfill all human aspirations. That's what we see. We don't know exactly how Paul gets to Jesus or if he had the opportunity to do so in this moment. But we know that that's his end goal. Start where they are and get to Jesus. Okay, we've got, we got a little bit more to look at here. Let's, let's read uh, 19 to the end of the chapter. It says, now, But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When, they'd made, when they had preached the gospel to that city they had made, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia, and there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. So this is basically wrapping up Paul's final uh, leg of his journey. He's He's going down to Derby, and then once he's there, then he goes back to all these towns he's already been to, and works his way back down to Antioch in Syria where he started from. Okay, that's the that's the overview. But what we what we're seeing happen in verse 19 is that the Jewish leaders who opposed him in Antioch of Pisidia and in Iconium somehow figure out where Paul is, and they come to Lystra, and they're there, and they end up persuading the crowd to throw stones at Paul and try to kill him. And basically what happens is they beat him with these rocks until they think he's dead, and, but Paul's not dead. So that's good news, right? Um, but basically Paul's hunted down. <clears throat> they stone him to the point uh, of nearly dead, probably, probably hit him in the head, knocked him out. They thought it was a kill shot or something like that, more than likely but but a stoning is obviously a brutal thing, right? It's a violent way to kill someone and and eventually Paul gets knocked out from from this beating. Um, the disciples were told were there. the people who had believed in Jesus in Lystra were there as he's laying on the ground in a probably in a bloody mess and they they're going. What do we do now? Where what are we gonna do with the body? What are we gonna do? And finally, he just kind of pops up and he's like, Oh, I guess I'm alive. All right, cool. Let's go. And then they're like, Ah, oh, let's go to Derby now. He's just like, He's just gonna keep going. This is what's so crazy about it is the perseverance that Paul has. He's almost been killed. And he just kind of gets up. He's like, well, I guess I got to go to this city now. And then he goes back to all the same cities that just attacked him with the people who just attacked him. He really does believe in what Jesus has called him to do. And he's got perseverance. To tie all this together, I I found it really interesting that in 2 Timothy, uh, I've just worked my way through 2 Timothy in my my own devotional time. And uh, I came across this passage. In, in 2 Timothy 3, it's towards the end of the letter, um, 2 Timothy, if you're not familiar with it, is written to Timothy. That's not hard to figure out. Um, but this would have been Paul's last letter in the Bible that he wrote, that we have in the scriptures. He's in Rome. He's in prison. He's about to be uh, killed for his faith by the by the Roman officials. He's writing Timothy a, a last letter to kind of cinch some things up, get get Timothy on the right path, make sure that everything's buttoned up before he dies. And at the very end of his life, um, Paul talks specifically about this thing that we've just read. This is decades later. And, and this has left a definite mark on his life, this whole event that we just read. He, he says this in verse... 10 of of chapter of, of 2 Timothy 3. He says, you, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra And we can just stop there for a minute. But th- what's really interesting is that Paul is reflecting back on his life as he's preparing for his death and the inevitable death he's going to face in Rome. And yet what he what he points back to are not all of the other things that he could have pointed to because he suffered a lot in a lot of places. He specifically goes back to these places, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And he talks about the persecutions he endured Notice the words, patience, in verse 10, steadfastness, endure, continue. He is calling his, his son in the faith, this man, this young man Timothy, he's saying, Listen, learn from how I lived, learn from the way in which I endured suffering. As, as Paul followed Jesus, as Jesus endures suffering, Paul endures suffering. Timothy's called to endure suffering. We're called to endure suffering. Keep going. Persevere. Keep looking to Jesus. Now, how do we do that? Thankfully, Paul doesn't leave us to wonder. He specifically tells Timothy how to keep going, to continue continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Then he says this famous verse, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, complete for every good work. Paul says this, if you're going to endure, you've got to continue to go back to the scriptures. This is the only way we can endure. He points specifically to the importance of the Bible to give us the perseverance we need because if we're not going to the source of God's word to, to hear what we need to hear, to have the strength to continue on, we are going to be lost in our own heads, in our own brains, and in whatever else is set out there. And we are going to inevitably give up. There is no Christian who can stick with it in the resources that they possess. We have to go to the resource God gives us in his word. And we've got to go back there again and again. Continue in what you have learned. So yeah, you've learned it. You may know it, but there's no point in which we stop continuing in it. To keep going in the Christian life requires the resources that only God can give us through his word. And I really do believe that one of the primary reasons that I get discouraged and that probably you get discouraged is because we're not spending the time needed to drink deeply from the waters of God's word we're not going there for our daily bread. We're spending so much of our time, and I'm speaking to myself, spending so much time in stupid, frivolous things instead of spending time where there is actually life and joy and comfort and peace and good news. And I think we need to be reminded of that, That is. As Paul tells Timothy, and by extension tells us, if we're going to continue in the Christian life, there's only one source that we go to to, to receive it and believe, and that's the Bible that, that God has given us to show us Jesus. All right. Well, let me, sit, let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you have loved us enough to give us your son to die you know, in the place of sinners. And that beyond that, you have given us, even more amazingly, you've given us the scriptures so that we can continue to see Jesus, continue to go back to him, continue to hear what he says, to continue to see what he's done. Lord, you've given us an, an absolutely amazing resource that does not come from us. We pray that you, I pray, God, that you would help us and help me to continue to drink deeply from the scriptures, the well of your word. Would you help us um, to do that this week and and going forward? Would you help us to endure for the sake of Christ? Would you help us uh, to spur one another on to these love, to love and good works? And and God, we pray for all of this uh, to resonate in our hearts as you want it to resonate. And uh, ask for that in Jesus' name, amen.